Habits and Health Episode 3. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on small habits that you can start to integrate into your life that will improve some area of your health. Today we are speaking with a lady called Farah Nanji. She's done so much in her life. She's a DJ, she works for a Formula One, a company heavily involved in Formula One. She's done a TED Talk. She's, um, well, we're going to hear a lot more from Farah coming up, but she's done quite a lot and she's she's DJed all over the place in many different places. So it's quite a, a fascinating conversation. If you do like this podcast, why not subscribe to it? It comes out every Tuesday lunchtime, so you'll be, uh, you'll be first to know as soon as it comes out. And please do leave a review for us on iTunes or, or one of the podcast platforms to let other people know what you think about this um, particular show. Right now, it is time for this week's episode. Welcome to Habits and Health. And my guest today is Farah Nanji. How are you doing, Farah? I'm really good, thanks, Tony. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. It's The weather's brightening up. It's, uh, it's springs here almost, it seems like. It's so amazing what a difference just having another hour of sunlight makes, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. And you're, um, cause you're in London somewhere, aren't you? That's correct, yeah. Whereabouts in London are you? Uh, North London. And are you originally a North Londoner? I am indeed. Born and, born and bred. <laughs> will not change that. Um, we'll, st- we'll stay on the North London postcode. Right. And you, you've had quite an, an interesting life. You've done a number of things. Well, I always get the same question. You know, how do you how did you get into DJing and motorsport? Two very unique mm. career paths um, and not usual career paths either. And that's kind of where it went back to my childhood, where I was um, in a very, very highly pressurized school. It was one of the top 10 schools in the country at the time. And I had gotten into the school, you know, um, on my own sort of academic merit. But I realized, you know, I just wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, I was very much a creative soul at heart. This was before the internet was really kind of coming out as well. So I just sort of um, very much got into music from a very young age. And because I was a tomboy, I was quite bullied as well. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, I love these sort of like, you know, typical tomboy sports, football, cricket, you know, things like that. Um, and along the way, I discovered motorsport and it became this incredible release. Um, I, I never felt anything like it with a sport before. And that's kind of how I discovered it. And, you know, it was the early days was just karting. And once you put your helmet on, you know, no one knows who you are. It's just you, the rhythms you create with the track. Um, it's very, you know, motorsport is, is obsessive about performance, uh, which mm. is later on sort of, translated into my life how I view things how I do things um you know there's a there's a constant 360 feedback loop um when it comes to performance in motorsport and, and when you in, yes. when, just just come back when in those early days of doing the, the motorsport was there much sort of um I'm just wondering being being a female in what is very much seen as a, as a male dominated sport were, was there much kind of um what would you call like were you being sort of that obstacle was being put up, I guess, in front of you because of that? I would say yes, in the sense that, you know, there is there is that because today we're here, 2021, we still don't have a female driver on the Formula One grid um, mm. as, as, a, as, a, as a, you know, a part of a team. Um, and that is, that is obviously quite 
a shame and I think reveals <clears throat> just how um how underrepresented females are I don't, it didn't affect me in the way that like you know oh, the boys treat you differently no none of that it's just mm. the fact that you know you know there are just aren't as many um mm. whereas in music which is also quite underrepresented I think there's mm. a, there's a there's a different there's a different maybe a different feel you know like I've, mm. I've had some comments from people I know who are very successful DJs who have mm. you know who know me and they've they've said well you know women they just they can't dj that's not their role they they just can't do that wow. and you know, you're just sort of like really is that the mindset you have in the 21st century and that's mm. amazing that's you know that's quite uh, astounding well and is it a case of i mean obviously it's a, it's a world i know very well <laughs> i've been yes. DJing for for many years mm. and and i don't know the um water motorsports world anyway in the i don't know that at all but from the dj world they're Ego is very important in the DJ world. And it's a blessing and a disguise because DJs need a certain amount of ego in order to do what they do. Mm. But it also is their downfall because so many DJs, the ego is just out of control. And so that leads to insecurity issues. And so I wonder if there's a certain amount of that in, in what you were receiving from some of those guys. A hundred percent. You know, it's, it, I, I faced a very, very tough situation once in my career, which I found very hard to let go of. Um, where I, you know, was friends with um, a certain group of people. And I, having been through all of this, you know, journey of ego in the music industry, particularly when you're, you know, an up-and-coming artist, there's this almost raw, unique energy with that that people either want to exploit or celebrate. Um, you know, you could look at the case of Avicii, of a great example of somebody who is, who is very young, who got... Um, you know, he didn't get he didn't get given the right set of tools to really nurture himself or to to protect him from the environment, as it were. But um, yeah, I, there was this one point in my career where you know it was like I met because of every all the sort of things you've alluded to there. I, I, I really tried to become very very like conscious and intentional of who I worked with. And you know, one of the hardest things I think in the music industry is that your your colleagues are your friends, um, and that is tough because a line gets blurred quite, quite fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and just by the nature of what you're doing, right. You know, you're, you share the same passion and enthusiasm for this music. You have this dedication, but, um, I, I was working with, with, with a few friends and I, and I really thought actually, because we were such good friends, it would mean that, you know, the protection was there, but actually what ended up happening because they were all guys mm-hmm. and it just, and they weren't fully committed to this, that like they weren't, they didn't have music as their full-time pathway. I did. So they had the security of, you know, a nine to five job that gave them a lot of financial security. Whereas for me, I, I sacrificed everything to be able to do music at that point. Mm. And, uh, and, and I naturally had more time to be obviously doing developing music, but it just over the course of a year, it really emerged that the, the, the fundamental clash was just being completely unable to take um, female guidance um, and, almost a jealousy of like where I was reaching with my career and that wasn't happening for them. But if you don't put in a hundred percent, you can't expect the same results. So, yeah. Mm. Anyway, that's just a, you know, a side topic, but it, but it's, it's there, it's present and you just have to navigate it and be, and just be aware of it and be mindful of it as well and, and recognize the signs and, and just not be afraid to cut negative cords if it seems to be going that mm. way. And how did you handle the uh, one that, yeah, there's, there's so many, positive aspects of DJ and there's so many parts that are re- really fun 
But the one, well, one of the real negative aspects is obviously being up so late, it can really affect health. How did you get on with that side of it? It's a huge topic. Um, I've actually had, you know, difficulties with my circadian rhythm since I was a child because um, along the way in my journey, um, I got diagnosed with dyspraxia, which is a motor coordination delay, um, which obviously made things a lot harder given the industries I'm now working in. Um, Mm. However, I also have um, hypermobile joints. Um, These two combinations in itself can lead to a lot of insomnia. Um, And then you throw DJing into the mix. You know, I was pre-COVID, I was in, you know, um, I was traveling two weeks out of a month every, for the last almost 10 years. Um, So, you know, your, your time zones get hugely impacted. And the other thing that I really struggled with a lot was the, um, you know, the lifestyle obviously that comes with it. And part of that is like, you know, you're on tour all the time, you're in different countries, you're always eating in a restaurant. When you're in a restaurant, you know, it feels like a treat, you know, you're in the ambience, you know, you've got mm. these amazing places you want to eat, you know, you don't want to order a salad. Mm. Uh, and I found that habit very hard to break, you know, um, that, you know, you, you have to uh, really, really, really um, be very mindful about what you eat. Mm. And how did you handle, I mean, one of the things I found was I mean, every night <clears throat> I've just been getting, be offered drinks left, right and centre. And you need to have a good, well, willpower, I guess, because if you just accept every drink you're offered, you're going to be plastered in no time, and then you're not going to be able to do any kind of um, coherent DJ. It's a scary one, isn't it? You do not want to be in that situation where, like, if you've got a set at 3 a.m., it's hard. You know, you're going to be there before, you know, you're going to be in the environment. You want to be there. It's it's very hard um, to stay away from it. I think you you need to know yourself, and you need to – you need to be, you know, aware of that and, and, and really spread it out with water. I mean, that is so important. Drink, just keep mm. drinking water. Um, personally, I don't, like, I when I DJ, you know, I'll, I'll have one or two glasses here and there just to, like, you know, just kind of just chill out a bit, relax, um, you know, because it is nervous when you go into an environment. Um, I don't mm. think anyone, um, well, I don't want to speak for everyone, but personally, me, I, I always get nervous when I, when I take over a new stage, a new room a new audience, a new dance floor. And, uh, you know, it's that first five, ten minutes when you're really getting into the, you know, is the equipment set up right? Is the sound levels? Is the, is the song, you know, sort of um, holding the energy? So there is a bit of, you know, just more heightened nerves. Um, mm. But, yeah, when it comes to alcohol, I think, you know, I like to have a little drink after when it's all done and, you know, you've done, done, done a good set. That's great. Enjoy yourself. Mm. But before and during, I, I keep it very, very limited. And from a health perspective, again, or staying with the health, what do you think? There's any positive aspects of DJing related to health? Yeah, why not? You know, I mean, look, if it's it's a passion, then that's always going to have a, a huge impact on your health. Mm. Um, just the chance to go so deep with music from a DJing mm. perspective is, I think, that's one of the biggest you know health benefits because you have some of the most incredible, motivating, inspiring sounds you know at your fingertips. Um, that you can incorporate in any day of your life. And one of the things I've done a lot um, incorporating into my life with music is uh, using binaural beats a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, these are sort of, you know, frequencies that are two, two tones played in, in different frequencies. And mm-hmm. they have all the, all different, you know, ranges, delta, theta frequencies. Um, and it's it's almost like an auditory illusion. And the studies have shown that when your brain is listening to 
binaural beats. It's inducing a state of meditation. Mm-hmm. And so you can listen to different types for whatever state, like if you want to try and relax before you go to sleep, you know, or if you want to focus when you're working. This is one of the biggest um, habits I've adopted through having the chance to go very, very deep with music and find out a lot about the history and the genres and the different types of the, the healing powers, essentially, of sound. Mm. And, and you just mentioned about the binaural beats and meditation. And this is something that seems to be getting a lot bigger in the in the last few years. You know, this this companies along the lines of, sort of HoloSync and, and many others who are offering all sorts of like, well, a huge range of different types of binaural, binaural beats. And their range and the price range is also from some companies who are very reasonable to other companies who are charging thousands of pounds for for their binaural beats. I mean, is this something you've explored much? Well, that's interesting. Actually, the way I consume binaural beats is really just going on YouTube and, and finding because you have hours and hours and hours of free content. People just put together something, you know, mm. and I've always found it works for me. Um, I, I haven't actually um, kind of gone too deep into looking at the paid options. I'm actually quite interested mm. about this. I'm going to have to go off and do some research and see what the, uh, what is this, uh, this soundscape? What is the differentiators that they're offering mm. that you can't get um, online, like in that way? yeah it's um i i've sort of dabbled with a few of them and they seem to uh, yeah i tried holosync for a while and it, it, it seems okay but i don't think it lives up to well my experience it didn't live up to all the claims that it makes you know, in, in the marketing but um, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting landscape so getting into habits you've you mentioned habits a couple of times you said what would you say are the, are the habits that really help you to, because you, know, you, you succeeded in so many different areas, or would you say you've got any habits that have really helped you in to, to become successful, I guess? Definitely. I have a lot of, let's say, non-negotiable habits. Um, you know, I really try and be very conscious of integrating them and catching myself when I don't integrate them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned that, you know, one of the things that I've struggled with touring and traveling is, is, you know, taking control of my diet. Mm. Um, and actually this lockdowns, you know, <laughs> it's been in, in that regard quite good because everything's just at home and all that. But mm. um, something I've, I've really um, stuck to a lot is, um, is now intermittent fasting. Mm. And I really try, with, through that method, I really try and control how much I'm eating and being very mindful about what I'm putting in my body and being intentional about the time frames I'm putting something in. Because you don't really need to be eating at all hours of the day, frankly. Um, you know, there is you can have a window of, of when you eat, and that's mm-hmm. it. And and you and you need to give your t- your body the time to actually process. You know, because it could take nine hours just to absorb what you've eaten. You know, yeah. and once you start learning things like that, and it actually it's not that hard to be honest. Yeah, the first couple mm-hmm. of days it's a bit harder, sure. But once you once you get into it, you actually realise you actually don't need all this stuff that you're always consuming. Um, and, and of course, you know, I have cheat days, weekends, particularly, you know, I, I don't have, um, a t- you know, a, a window as it were. Um, but yeah, and also just on that note of, of, um, of diet, I also, um, coming from an Indian background, um, I, I always grew up around the, the ingredients and the, the, uh, philosophies of Ayurvedic cuisine. Mm. Um, and I love cooking. And, um, so I've, 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 I have kind of, you know, for a long time being very aware of what my body type is and then understood how certain foods might trigger my body um you know and inflame it or something like that and actually something also just in in combination with that um i i discovered bioresonance um a while ago 
and you know it's sort of this thing that our bodies well everything is energy in this in this in this universe and in this uh, in this planet and our, our bodies are, are all frequencies as well and um they they have a, a you know certain frequency when something's healthy when it's meant to operate the way it should it's, it should be at a certain level of frequency and bioresonance really um doing a bioresonance test can allow yourself to find out where the blockages are where the things are not resonating the way they should um and then it sends back um electrical frequencies to correct some of those imbalances but more than anything it's actually just seeing you know um you know what 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 isn't working so those three things in combination have been some really good habits that I've adopted towards my diet. And then in obviously your diet has to be going very, very much hand in hand with your, with your fitness. Mm. So, um, and this is obviously something back in DJ life was, was tough because you've got long hours, you're traveling on a plane, you're in a country for a few days, you know, you're not really establishing much of a routine. You're in a different time zone. Um, but one of the things that I always, always do is, is get a very, very regular walk in nature. It's just the most important thing to ground me, to take a break, to just calm down from whatever has happened, you know, um, throughout the day. Um, and yeah, that's really important. Um, and the other thing is also um, when I'm working, I turn off all my notifications. Um, I, I really need to have a laser focus when I'm working. I cannot have an email or WhatsApp or this and that just coming through 24 seven. Um, if I'm trying to do something that requires a high level of attention, you know, mm. at the end of the day, we live in this world where anyone can get my email address. Anyone can contact me through my website or my Instagram, whatever it is. Mm. I don't know that person. Um, or I haven't, you know, it's like when you go to a meeting, you're, you're going there cause you're meeting someone and you've got that intent. Um, and you've set out that time for that person to give them that energy. Whereas, you know, with all these digital distractions, people are entering your headspace and you haven't, you haven't set up yourself to, to receive that, you know, you're not, it's not on your radar. So it's like, it distracts you at the end of the day. Um, and things take longer when that distraction's there. Cause it's not a bad thing. Of course, you know, it's great. You know, we, we've all seen the successes from having that ability of, of connection. But when you're working, I think you need to have, um, you do need to keep a, a bit of a, a barrier between that and, uh, and your workflow. It's not, um, it's not something that m- many people are seem able to control mm. the distractions. You know, they have they have their notifications turned on for for email and social media and so on. And they can this many people I see just in a, seems to be in a constant state of distraction. And mm. so rather than them controlling their phone, their phone's totally controlling them, and they have no awareness of it whatsoever. It's really sad, isn't it? Um, mm. I mean, a tip I would say is like, if you can't switch off the emails, you know, you need them for work. Fair enough. Obviously, you know, I also feel, you know, I also need the same as well with emails, but like, let's say if you're doing something very, like a piece of writing where you need to be in a, almost a different, you know, mind space, headspace, um, then yeah, then I would turn off. But I think another way to do it, to tackle that sometimes is like, maybe change the frequency of the notification. So the notification doesn't have to come in. It doesn't have to be refreshing the server every 30, 60 seconds. You know, you can set it so it's like, you know, checking once every couple of hours or once an hour. Um, mm. So you know, it's not in the minute right then and there. And then, that, do you know what I mean? And I think also the other thing is that I think you do, especially now, coronavirus, so much, everything's digital. Um, 5G, you know, all these <laughs> conspiracy theories, all of these things. Um, mm. 
I think it's really important to just try and get a digital detox. Just try and do it. Just do it. You know, just just go go at it. And I personally, I do that. The weekend for me is my is my detox. Yeah, you know, I, I Sundays in particular is when I just uh, switch off from everything. And, so, uh, so I'm on, I wonder how how was it that you learned all this? Did you get to a point where you were just you were, it was out of control with sort of notifications and and your phone and, and whatever? I mean, I love technology. I'm a huge technology fan. I, you know, I game. I, you know, I love coding. You know, I, I, I love what technology has done for us. And even with my learning difficulty, one of the first things that um, I was told to do was because uh, my handwriting after like 20 minutes becomes illegible. So they were like, you know, to help you in exams, um, you should have a laptop. Um, so actually from quite a young age, I, I actually had to have a laptop. That actually played, you know, benefits, but they're one worst benefit worst thing that happened from that was like especially as a as a kid when you don't have that control yet and you don't your body's not um you know it's not facing the strains yet like it's not feeling the repercussions um and so like from childhood from childhood and teenagehood like so much back pain from like sitting on my laptop like in my bed or like gaming doing all these things when I noticed it was getting uh, you know actually started affecting me was like pretty much late twenties, um, I suddenly started feeling this huge shift in my back in particular. And something I deal with a lot on a daily basis, to be honest. Um, and it, when you, when you start feeling your spine is like, you know, it's compared, is not, is not, is not right. Mm. You need to go quite deep into your life and what you're doing and how you're doing things, because it's going to be a tug of war in a way. Cause like with DJing, it's part of your job. You know, you're looking down, mm. DJ desks when you go into a venue um you know they're all not at the same level of height and most of the time they're not really obviously for your like your particular height so obviously there are ways to get some around that but you you are facing that and then also at the end of the day you're standing for a long time so like and you're not sitting down like you don't see DJ sitting down when they're in a set right and you could go on for seven hours and when I was in my early 20s I used to DJ seven hours a week three times three so three three yeah seven three seven hour sets um for almost a year I think I'm still paying the I'm still paying for that in my body but I think yeah when that happened I, I really had to take a step back and just analyze all of these things that sometimes I need for work I'm doing I need to do it but how can I uh just take a step back from that from that and even now like working you know we're here sitting here you know everything's remote I love my work I'm addicted to my work I can't stop thinking about my work you know I'm very passionate about it um, I, it's not, it's not painful for me, you know, on a mental space to be at work. It's, 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 I just, I'm like, I love it, you know? Um, but I have to remind myself like every hour, like, okay, if at the 40th minute I need to, I need to get up and I need to move and I need to, 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 to do those things. Sometimes it could be using technology to help you with that. So, um, you know, set the timer, um, sorry, set the timer or, you know, sometimes like I forget to take my supplements or something. I've, I've literally set up an email at a particular time. I know that, you know, the best time for me to take a supplement is, is after dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have an email that comes in every single day at, you know, a particular time, reminder to take your supplement, you know. It's mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, just I'm we're always on our screens. And I think, you know, just coronavirus has really, ha- like, made me really, really aware of, like, just because we've had to be more on it that like what the the negative impacts have been and like how to change some of that. Mm. I mean, earlier on we sort of 
touched upon how you got started in the whole kind of motorsports with the carting and whatever. And so how did that escalate in you? And what is it you're doing now with motorsports? For sure. So, yeah, like I started karting at a young age um, and then, well, in my teenage years. And then about three years down the road of karting, I got diagnosed with dyspraxia and I kind of like had to focus all my efforts on my education, my GCSEs, which were happening at the time. Parents were like, you know, hang up the shoes, hang up the racing shoes. And for a couple of reasons, not just the motor delay, but also the fact that, you know, there's this statistic that like um, a, a driver who's made it into Formula One, typically their family has basically invested about seven million pounds into their career through three wow. ages. <laughs> That's nuts. Um, you know, definitely didn't have that uh, access um, in my childhood. And um and it's a, that is the thing about motorsport. It is quite inaccessible. It's not like football. You just pick up a ball, go to the garden, play some, you mm. know, it's, it's just not, and you cannot do that. It's just, it's completely mm. the other way around, apart from obviously ga- gaming now, which is great. But the mm. physical feeling of, you know, driving, it requires, an, you know, an upfront investment. Mm. So there's the, the, the financial barrier. There is the motor coordination. And then, you know, you, you could argue the female barrier, but, you know, that, that is what it is. Um, and I think what happened to me was like, I was for a while, I like sort of like, um, didn't, didn't get to do it. Um, but then I went to university and I happened to be in this place where, um, there, there were a lot of car collectors in the student community, a bit random, but it just happened to be that way. Um, Mm. and they were all international as well. Like there's 95% of my uni was international students. Mm. Um, and it was a business school and, um, I just realized that there was a chance that to start a society um, for motorsports, particularly because you have all these students who've come from all around the world. They don't know anything outside of London. Like they don't realize the heritage that motorsports has in this country. Um, Mm. You know, you've got half the Formula One teams are here. You've got all these manufacturers, you know, Land Rover, Jaguar, Aston Martin, um, so many manufacturers here based in the UK. Um, And also just the beauty of the British countryside. So I saw this really cool opportunity to start a club that connected people, um, showed them the best of the automotive motorsport heritage here in the UK um, and do events that, you know, really created a a community feeling. Um, We had 800 members by the time I graduated. We, our events actually ended up being international as well. We did like road trips in the Nürburgring. You know, when you're on a road trip, it's such a sense of camaraderie, um, community, everyone's looking out for each other. Such a great way to get to know someone. It's just, it was amazing to do that during the university times. And because I was fortunate enough to have, you know, a client base, let's say at the time, um, I, I was able to like learn literally in the realest sense how to run a business um, mm. because I became very serious about it. You know, I, I got the logo made. I, you know, learned Photoshop. I designed the website. I did all the things, you know, that encompass the starting of a business. Um, and it wasn't easy also to like, just, it wasn't like the clients just came, you know, you had to work to get those clients. Um, and you know, I I used to have a promotional stand every week at uni and one of my biggest weaknesses at the time in university was public speaking. Um, I used to be so afraid of public speaking, um, and talking to people and putting myself in an environment where I didn't know people, but doing those things, um, because I knew I had this business I was very passionate about and I wanted it to thrive and I knew I had to put myself in that out of my comfort zone. So um, all of those things in the early years um, of uni just helped me towards the journey of eventually taking what I started, building upon that idea after graduation, running it today um, as, a, as, a, as a company that explores 
the leadership lessons in particular from motorsport and the transferable business lessons that can can arise from, from motorsport. So when you look at motorsport, you know, let's think of Formula One, you've got digi- an incredible level of digital transformation happening, you know, right from the onset, every every race, you know, the, the, the car is changing so rapidly. Um, there are 10,000 moving parts. It's so technology driven. Um, at the same time, it's a huge an environment of risk. Um, there's a lot of uh, risk that is, um, it could look, you know, like, wow, we're, 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 we're looking at such a huge level of danger, but it's all measured risk. And it's all, you know, an environment where so much safety is involved. If you look at Roman Grosjean's crash recently, you know, you, you would never have thought a driver in that situation would have been able to survive a crash even 10, five years ago. But the measures that are constantly changing, the safety of the sport and the sustainability of the sport is one of the first sports that has a pledge to go completely net carbon by 2030. Obviously, you have Formula E. There are just so many components. Um, obviously, peak performance is one of that as well. For a driver, for a team, you're in, in so many different time zones. All of these really interesting areas, um, I feel, can have a direct impact to a business, no matter what industry they're in. They can take the learnings from Formula One. Um, and motorsport and adopt some of those practices in their businesses. And that's basically a company that I'm running today that, um, you know, allows me to stay incredibly close to my passion for motorsport, but in a, in a different way, because I cannot go and be a Formula One driver. I know that, but I, mm-hmm. I definitely, you know, have this infectious um, bug for motorsport and want to be a part of the landscape and, and innovate in it particularly. You just mentioned um, Formula E. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something I, I'm, I mean, I'm not hugely into motorsport, but I'd never heard of that before. So oh. what is that? Well, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so Formula E is actually owned by um, Liberty, Media, uh, Liberty, sorry, Liberty Media Group, which uh, owns Formula One. So they are, they have the same ultimate ownership structure. But what it is, is it's basically a single seat of motorsport championship um, mm-hmm. that only uses electric cars. So everything is, 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 is electric. And basically, it's also got a very interesting way in the ways that, let's say, a participant or a fan can engage because you, you can, throughout the race, kind of um, f- fans can vote for their favorite drivers and then the drivers actually get an extra power boost during the actual race itself while they're driving, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a few different... different. The, the format is slightly different. Um mm. But yeah, in, in essence, you know, you've got 12 teams, two drivers, um, hybrid hybrid cars. Um, cars kind of look like a Formula One car, but slightly different. Uh, and typically the biggest difference actually is that the racing tends to happen on a street circuit. Um, so you go to all these cities, like for example, when they had it in England or in London, it was in Battersea Park. Um, in New York, they had it around Times Square. Um, you know, quite interesting. And it was set up in 2014 so it's relatively new and mm. it's been exploding um over the years in terms of its success its impact um because similar to formula one this is a place where so many manufacturers get to test their technologies and actually mm. a lot of the technologies we see today in the road come from those things like carbon fiber comes from mm. formula one and so will do you see anyone like a tesla get involved in that it's interesting because Tesla, they're very closed off. They don't, they're not in motorsports. Mm. And it's very interesting. Like, I'm not sure what the, maybe they just want to keep their focus performance very much within their own company and not, 
not on a motorsports level, but th- that question has been, you know, is, is, is explored and questioned a lot. Why, why isn't Tesla part of the sport? Mm. Um, but at the same time, you've got other manufacturers, BMW, Jaguar, um, Mercedes, you know, who all have um, teams within Formula E. And actually a lot of um, drivers, ex-Formula One drivers, have gone into Formula E as well. How does performance compare between sort of traditional Formula One and Formula E? I think um, you, you've, the format is slightly different. It's like 45-minute races. Um, mm. But the performance level is still the same. It is a very mental game. Uh, people actually don't realise how much of a mental game motorsports is. It's, it's hugely mental. Um, mm. You're always, you know, you have to kind of constantly think how to outperform your competitor on a circuit and not end your car in the wall. Um, you know, if <laughs> if you... If you um, damage your front wing on a, on a Formula One car, which sometimes you see you know, in a pit stop, you, know, you see a very fast front wing change. That's a £250,000 change, just a front wing. So, you know, when you're driving a car at that, at that cost, you know, mm. that's, that's a huge amount of pressure. Um, mm. So there's a, there's a mental performance. Um, there is then, of course, the fitness. And I think the fitness is, there might be smaller things in terms of like how they train might differ, but at the end of the day, there is a, you need to be very, very, very fit. A lot of, um, I think the consistency is a lot of um, like weight is put through your neck through the G forces that are happening. So when you train um, in your fitness, you have to pay a lot of attention to um, neck training. Um, You also have to have very, very fast reaction speed times um, for for obvious reasons. (laughs) Um, so, you know, uh, a lot of that stuff, like one of the things like I, I do, I go to, um, I get the chance to take my members to formula one gyms, which is sort of very different to normal gyms. They've got, you know, the essences of like weights and things like that, but everything's kind of really geared towards uh, motorsports. So like, let's say there's like this piece of equipment, for example, that's like, um, about braking, um, cause you have to do a lot of heavy braking, um, before a corner and you literally almost have to stamp your foot on the brake, but every corner has a different way of stamping your foot in a way. So um, this one piece of equipment will have a huge weight attached to it. Um, but also it will have a screen and then it will have a, cur- a graph and the graph will change. And you will also see uh, on the screen how the car is moving. So you can see how the car is ch- taking a corner and then you see the graph and the graph has like a curve um, and the curve will always be different. And you have to emulate that curve in your braking, in how you put your foot on the brake. Um, and that's how you practice, you know, um, the different types of braking styles when it comes to braking. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, so it's really interesting when you go to a gym, like of a, of a motorsport, um, you know, league, you kind of see some really cool, interesting pieces of um, kit, but, um, the training I think is, is almost the same. It's, it's, it's nutrition, it's, it's mental and it's, um, and it's, and it's fitness. I mean, in a different worlds that, you know, you reside in with the, um, the DJ and, and the motorsport and mm-hmm. so on. What um, I would imagine there's a lot of temptation for for bad habits in you know in those sort of lifestyles. How, how do you resist that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you need to just be very mentally strong because you cannot be in that environment. If you have a long term game plan of being in that environment, you cannot simply do it by being, you know, by doing what your audience does. Let's say your audience are coming there; they're coming there to have a, to, to get you know to have to get to get, have a lot of drinks or. To, you know, to do whatever they're just coming to do. They're basically coming to release, you know, their week. Mm. Um, or they're coming to Ibiza on a holiday and they're, they're, they're fully blown on having the best time of their life because that's what the island's known for, giving you the best time of your life. Mm. Um, and it's very easy because everyone, you know, 
the, the club promoters, you know, the club owners, you know, your friends, they want to, you know, can I get you a drink, you know, like this and that. And it's kind of weird because it's like, you know, what other industry requires you or has this environment where you have like alcohol um, as as part of your you know, like when you're working, it's really, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't do that in a normal job. I think yeah. you just have to be so mentally strong. And I think, you know, you, you, at some point you're going to break and that's fine. Mm. You need to break to see what it's like on the other side and how you don't enjoy it. Don't enjoy waking up so hungover, you know, having to get on a plane, nothing worse than that, you know, like got like a, such a bad headache. I you always swear I'm never going to do this again, you know, um, and or you miss your flight that has a repercussion that someone else's money you know promoter or you know you've been paid to go there like that's terrible you can't do that it's not professional so I think you know sometimes you do need to fail to see that that's not what you, who you want to be and how you want to do it um but ultimately then just be really strong and you'll wake up the next morning feeling so good like you know I, I'm ready to seize the day I'm ready to do this I'm not I'm not waking up at like a time when there's no sunlight you know, which has got a really detrimental effect on your body. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, just being very mentally resilient. And I think motorsports has given me that resilience 100%, you know, just, just the fact that I'm able to be in both environments. And you, you, mm. you almost see this juxtaposition. You see the lifestyle or you observe people who are living on the extreme end of fitness. They have mm. all these small, small things that they adopt into their life on a daily basis. And then you come into, motors, into DJing where it's thrown completely out of the equation. Mm. that is a mental struggle to be in both um and succeed change change on the subject uh dramatically i suppose you could say do you are you much of a reader yes i love reading i'm definitely a bookworm i read a lot um i'm one of those people that i'm guilty of buying so many books uh, that i struggle to find to find the time to read them um but yeah i have this ab- habit actually of um trying to set myself a target like 12 books in, tw- in one year so one book a month mm-hmm. and just try and like do that um and another habit that we've got actually in the family which is quite nice um and particularly during covid because before like we you know we didn't always get a chance to have family dinners all the time um because mm-hmm. you know we'd all be here and there and, and whatnot um but now like we made it a very regular thing like uh you know or you know we have a family dinner on a saturday and every week one of us has to bring something to the table that we've read that mm. we feel we want to share with our family that, you know, has some sort of meaning, spiritual, whatever it is. Mm. Um, and that's been a really nice habit for our family as well. Um, you know, there's four of us, so um, it's not too intense. It's, you know, once a month, we, we all do it. But yeah, I, I love I love to read. What, what, what kind of things do you tend to read? I love to read a lot of spiritual books. Um, I'm a huge fan of Eckhart Tolle. Um, you know, his, his books are, are phenomenal. Um, so I love to read books like that, you know, um, Seat of the Soul, something I'm reading at the moment. Um, books that really just go deep within, because when I read, it's really time for me. It's, it's time for, it's my way of switching off. It's my way of not thinking about work. Um, but at the same time, I also love to read books for work in that manner, because there's so much... Um, thought leadership from so many experts that have written great books in motorsport and music um, and to get that level of insight as well it's not something you're typically just going to get by looking at the internet it's, it's someone's like life work you know in, the, in that um, I love reading stories um, of Formula One drivers their journeys what they've achieved how they've, do- how they've done it 
Um, and, and a lot of books around leadership as well, because, you know, I'm developing teams. I'm, I, I love, you know, focusing on high performance within my within the teams that I build. So I love to read um, books about that as well on, on a leadership perspective. And is it something you do on a, on a daily basis or do you like, is it something you make sure that you do regularly? I don't get the chance to do it on a daily basis. Um, I, I try and do it on a weekly basis. So the weekend for me is that time to, to switch off and just go, go a bit deeper into, the, hmm. into those things. And earlier on you talked about um, you had a fear of public speaking and yet you've done a, a TED Talk, haven't you? Correct, yes. <laughs> so there's, I don't think there's many people who have done a, who've got a fear of public, actually it's probably not true, I was going to say, there's probably a lot of people who've got a fear of public speaking yet still done a TED Talk. But yeah, tell us more about the TED Talk. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, to be fair, I think like when you first do your TED Talk, I don't think most people, no matter who they are, are not going to get nervous. Like, I've I've now had the pleasure of watching many TED Talks, um, you know, in a live environment. And I know firsthand some of the speakers have been speakers for the UN. You know, they've spoken at these you know, World Economic Forum. They've, they've, you know, been on some of the biggest stages. But the TED Talk always gets them. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest reason for that is you're not allowed notes. Yeah. Everything is like you, you and the audience. There's no barriers. There's no lectern. And that's the beauty of a TED Talk, you know, is is, is really a human um, dynamic from from head to toe, you know, with how you speak and how you deliver. Um, so that experience was unreal. Um, I, I, I think in the lead up in the two years prior to ever doing a TED Talk, I, I suppose I'd had the opportunity to, let's say, test my public speaking because it's a journey. You know, I went through this whole thing in in childhood where I literally couldn't make eye contact. Then I became very comfortable with who I was. I became passionate. I found my passions. I then realized that in order for your passions to succeed, you need to be a great communicator, whether that's putting yourself out there, getting your business heard, or even just communicating within your teams. And then very, very quickly within that, I I loved sharing knowledge. Um, So I became a mentor for many, many artists um, and entrepreneurs, and then also I, I started doing a lot of uh, guest speaking at universities, um, delivering workshops, and, um, and and also delivering keynotes for brands. So prior to my TED Talk experience, I had had, let's say, a level, a certain level of ex- um, exposure towards, you know, um, putting yourself in a room and talking to people. But the TED, TED experience, you know, was like unlike anything I'd ever done before. Um, there were a few reasons behind that. Number one, obviously, it's just the the, the, the platform itself. Um, secondly, it's the fact that, you know, you've only got 18 minutes. Um, it's got it's your life's manifestation. Um, you know, you never know if you, will you ever get to do one again. It's, you know, the first one you do is always, it's like, you know, it's a huge thing. I had six weeks notice to do the talk. Um, and, you know, I was in six countries in those six weeks. Mm. So that was very, very, very tough. Um, I was from the United States, Africa, Emirates, uh, Ibiza, um, you know, uh, it was like, it was intense. So to think of the topic, what I'm going to write about, struggle with all these time zone differences. And in all those time zones, I was working really intensely. I had one of the biggest events happening for my companies during that point. Um, you know, and that, and that already was tough enough. Like I was in the DJ booth in Ibiza and every break I'd have, I was like on my phone, like doing sales, like, you know, making sure everything was going okay for this, for this event. Like it was, it was quite intense. And then having this TED Talk um, in the back of my mind with it all. So there was a lot going on. Um, the experience itself was was unbelievable. Um, I also 
had um because it was in the philharmonic hall of luxembourg i I, I sort of, you know, sort of asked if I could do a, um, a musical performance to kind of also complement the things I've spoken about. Um, so that actually cut my, that, that by doing that, I had to have a shorter speech as well. So even more pressure to condense everything into what you want to say. Um, mm. And then, you know, also some of the things I, I learned along the way um, from TED speakers was like people on average who prepare for a TED speech um, practice one minute of prose. They, pr- they practice one minute of speech and they do that for one hour so they literally repeat the same minute for an hour and if your mm. talk is like 18 minutes that's 18 hours which I did not have the luxury of, of doing so there were so many things that like freaked me out um but you know just went and did it did not sleep could not sleep an inch the night before could not sleep a wink like I tried so hard I was just but I was just like just couldn't do it couldn't sleep um so I went in on the talk just like not you know, fully, like, you know, not, not my best self, let's say. Mm. My sister, thank God, was there. Um, and she was like, she knows me. She'd been used to me all her life. She knows my problems with sleeping. She knows how I can get into a frenzy sometimes when it's a huge work thing and I can't sleep. Um, so she was literally in the, in the, in the changing room before she was like doing lion's breath with me. She was like, she's doing all these like amazing like things to help me out. And, um, yeah, but then I went and did it and, to be fair, like the first couple of minutes for sure, like super daunting. Um, you know, you walk into that room, there's a thousand five hundred people watching you and you're just like, oh my God. Um, but as soon as you get into your flow, as soon as you get into you, what you're there to transmit, you just enjoy what you're, you've got to enjoy it. Like, you know, it's a, it's a very personal thing. Um, I think the beauties of talks are the ones that have also in, have some level of interaction. Um, so you can see how your audience is feeling as well. And that's the first thing that I did is I opened up my speech with a question, um, which was how many of you guys in the room struggle with maths? Um, and that's quite a universal question, you know? Um, and, and so I could immediately, I kind of gave myself a little break for like five seconds to just like see the room and see who I'm talking to and see them kind of be curious amongst themselves and like how, how like you know what the energy is like um and yeah so it was all it was all it was all over much faster than than it than it than it was um when it ended I literally like passed out (laughs) you know like I like went Mm. outside of the room um, of the Philharmonie there was this bench I just like lay down for like 10 minutes just shut my eyes and I was like wow I I really I did that you know Mm. that is unreal um and it was like, you know, it felt like you're climbing this, the Mount Everest of public speaking, you know, yeah. because it's like one thing is what happens in the room and, and the room and that day and that, that moment. But of course, the second part of it is knowing that it's going to live on the Internet and mm. that talk could go viral or it will just get, you know, certain it will just get traction um, or it may not, in fact, as well. Um, um, do you know, do you know how many views it's had? Roughly? Yeah. So it has had traction. It's, it's had about 80,000 views now. Mm. Um you know, so it's, it's had, it's, it's continuing to grow. Um, mm. but I think, you know, that you can't have any expectation towards it because there are loads of people that have a great talk and it just hasn't had the traction and that, that sometimes is the downfall of the platform. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, that's, that's been my experiences giving a, giving a TED talk. <laughs> and, and you talked before about, you know, sort of 
communication and, and speaking and so on. And, and one of the things you do is a, a regular podcast. Do you want to tell us about the podcast and, and who it's aimed at? For sure. Um, I'm loving the world of podcasting. Um, and I, I basically just actually before coronavirus happened in January 2020, I was um, I had this incredible privilege of DJing at the World Economic Forum and also being a, a keynote speaker for a conference mm. out there. And um, and I was also managing an event. So it's quite a lot of things going on. Um, and actually, um, something quite unfortunate happened to me where um, I slipped on some black eyes about, about three days into the conference and mm-hmm. I broke my elbow. Um, wow. It's something I uh, have had to struggle with throughout the whole year because um, I had to have a surgery there, but then the surgery actually was done wrong in Switzerland of all places. Um, and then coronavirus happened, so all the hospital staff became much harder to access. Um, and yeah, it was just really a very complicated thing. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but for a whole year, I had to like just do intense physio and I had to have a second surgery and all this. So as I was there in the mountains, you know, like really, really disappointed with myself because I was just so looking forward to this experience. Um, and I never got to fully experience what I went out to achieve, you know? Um, and I was thinking then, uh, you know, like, wow, like I, I've, you know, what's led me to this point? Um, how have I got here? And then, then kind of, you know, just doing a reflection, like so many people always asking me, like, what is it like to be in the music and motorsport industry? They've got so many questions, you know, you know, um, quite e- easily, instantaneously, like um, as you demonstrated, there's so many different things we can talk about and we can be here for, for hours um, about so many of the different things. Um, mm. And it can relate to everyone on a human level as well. Um, and I felt like it would be a great idea to start this podcast that delves more into the mindset of uh, leaders in music, leaders in motorsport and leaders in business as just a third category mm-hmm. um, and sort of see what are the sort of obstacles they've had to face. Um, what are the misconceptions? There's so many misconceptions about both of these industries um, mm-hmm. that, you know, it would be a great place to start a discussion um, and hopefully empower other people on their journey Um whatever it is and just you know elevate their mindset and adopt some of these you know habits as well of high performance so that that's been the thinking behind mission makers that's the name of the podcast um we launched it then from between january to october i spent um 10 months just working on the idea it was you know a very very long intense process um got a team around it um and yeah we launched in october we're doing like a season format Mm-hmm. So each season has 11 episodes. Uh, we're going into season two soon uh, in March. Um, I'm not sure actually when this episode is going to be aired, if it will already have been, show would have been aired, but our, our season opener is with Carl Cox, mm-hmm. um, who is a phenomenal, one of the world's best DJs, but surprisingly, mm-hmm. not everyone knows this, he's also a huge motorsports fan and he um, actually has a motorsports team himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we felt felt like he was just the perfect guest to launch season two with. Um, and yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Like uh, just, you know, a lot more work than I thought. Um, I've been tracking my hours on this podcast and like um, already we're in, you know, we're, we're on th- Thursday. I've already put in 25 hours this week into just the podcast production itself. Because yeah. um, I'm one of those people and I think I could go back down to motorsport. I'm an absolute perfectionist. Um mm. So it's not enough for me just to like record some audio and put it out there. I want to just go full, like full on with everything around it. So 
Yeah. So if people want to find out, uh, well, what, what's the sort of podcast is called Mission Makers? Correct. Podcast Mission Makers is on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. We also have a video component to it on YouTube. So if you just type in Mission Makers on YouTube, it will, it will come up on my DJ channel, Ninja. Um, and yeah, that's 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 kind of where you can listen to it. And I really and hope what that about- you do. Other other social media, helping people find out, um, yeah, about your motorsport stuff and your DJ stuff. For sure. So um, I'm DJ hyphen Ninja on SoundCloud. That's the best way to hear my music. Um, on Instagram, DJ N1NJA. Uh, that's the, the music stuff. And then the, the company for motorsport I'm running is at Regents Racing um, on Instagram, and same on the internet, Regents hyphen Racing dot com. Um, and that is uh, that is all of where I am present online well Barrett, it's been it's been a, a pleasure speaking to you before we finish i believe you have a, a quotation that you particularly like that's true that is correct yes um the quotation is by rumi and it is uh what you seek is seeking you and there's a lot of uh depths behind that statement so what is it that resonates with you about i think we all have a uh, an inner secret mission given to us by nature. I mean, nature has has given us all something that we're here to achieve, to do, to, to contribute. You know, when we look at the ecosystem of our planet, you know, everything is in nature is here for a very very specific reason and intention. Um, and those gifts, um, all those those clues are revealed to us in childhood, um, and what we saw in our earlier lives is seeking us always um, and it's coming back to those roots and staying anchored in that centre point of what is truly seeking us and also what's not serving us anymore as well being very aware and mindful of that um, as we continue on in our journey on this uh, on this planet well Farah that's um, I love that quote and thank you for for the last 50 50 or so minutes it's been uh, been a real pleasure speaking to you so thank you Thank you, Tony. Uh, thank you so much um, for, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope to catch up with you very soon. Absolutely. Next week, episode four with Shannon Beer. She's uh, formerly studied at King's College London and she's a certified nutritionist. She's also certified in fitness. She's done training in motivational interviewing, ACT, food, nutrition and health and, and many other things. And she's lived and spent time in a lot of different countries. She's currently out in Bali, and the last few years she's been in Vietnam and Thailand and Melbourne, Sydney, LA, Singapore, Dublin, Hong Kong. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So that's next week's episode with Shannon Beer. If you know anyone who you think would get some real value from this week's episode with um, Farah, please do share the episode with them. And why not subscribe to the podcast and please do leave a review. It's really useful to know what you think of the show. Hope you have a great week.